In a moment, I'm going to pray for the outreach team. Uh, but first, I want to just uh, introduce myself. Um, again, my name is Pastor Dwayne, and uh, I'm going to be here. Sherry and I will be here until you find a new pastor. And um, so I've, I've been a covenant pastor for uh, 40 years. I've served churches in San Diego, California, Lakewood, Colorado, Roseville, Minnesota. And uh, then I've been in Chandler for 20 years. 15 of those uh, was the pastor of Hope Covenant Church. And, uh, and I've been retired, as Rod said, not very, very effectively, but I've been retired for uh, the last four years. I have loved doing, working for the conference, doing uh, vitality retreats and also being uh, available for a transition pastor. I did that at Genesis in North Phoenix, at the bridge in Gilbert, and now uh, with you here at Grace. So uh, Sherry and I are happy to be here. Um, now we're not full-time, so I'm going to be working 30 hours a week. Sometimes that leaks a little, as you would expect. But um, I will be here all day Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I'll work from home one day, and then we'll be here on Sunday. So if you'd like to meet with me, make sure you schedule that for Tuesday or Wednesday. But I'm always available via phone, text, email. You can always contact me whether I'm here at the church or not. So I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to serving you, to preach well, to lead well, and to love well. And uh, it's going to be a great journey. I have been praying for now. It's been a month since uh, I uh, accepted uh, the call from your chairman, uh, Rod, to become the transitional pastor of uh, Grace Community Church. I've been praying about how I wanted to begin my ministry. And so uh, the word that the Lord kept bringing to me was the word encourage. Uh, Believing that you need to be encouraged, um, that I need to be encouraged as a friend of David and Teresa's, and that we as a congregation need to be encouraged to move out from a place of grieving and to a place of hope and joy and ministry that is absolutely transformational that will change people's lives starting with you and then reaching out to the community with the good news of Jesus so as I thought about that word uh, I remember how important uh, Paul's letter to the second Corinthians opened to that very truth about encouragement in 2013 I had the privilege of being on a sabbatical from hope and we spent 10 weeks in the uh, Pacific Northwest, and uh, I spent we spent two weeks, more than that actually, in British Columbia, Vancouver, and I studied there under J.I. Packer. How many have heard of J.I. Packer? Okay, great, one of the eminent, preeminent uh, New Testament scholars, and I studied Second Corinthians under him for two weeks. It was amazing, and still living, he's in his 90s and still teaching there at Regency. And so I have a stack of notes like this, so uh, pardon me if I uh, go on and on, but uh, this is an amazing book. And uh, if you want to be encouraged, this is the book for you. So here's what I would like to suggest that you do. Um, Read 2 Corinthians every week for the next eight weeks. If you read it all at once, it takes you about 30, 35 minutes. Or if you read uh, just a little bit each day, a chapter and a half each day, you can do that. But um, read the book of 2 Corinthians every week for the next eight weeks. And again, we're talking about the word of God transforms lives. This word will transform your life, make you better, closer, deeper, make you a Christ follower par excellence. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at in these coming weeks. So let me begin with a personal 
Question. At this moment, do you feel encouraged or discouraged? Now, there's no right or wrong here, no spiritual answer or unspiritual answer, but how are you feeling emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically right now? How would you rate yourself on the encouragement quotient? Well, recently, Sherry and I have gone through a lot of uh, difficult times with our family, with health and other things, and we've been really um, grieving for David and Teresa. And so all of those things kind of accumulated in our lives in the last couple of weeks. And, and as I've been preparing for this series, uh, I know God has really encouraged me from this book. But there was one particular evening, uh, we received an email from our son-in-law, Sherry, had encouragement from two of her prayer partners. And then a week ago, Thursday night, David and I were rooming together before the board of ministry meeting in Chicago. And um, uh, I was asking, tell me about how you're feeling, how you're doing, what's going on, uh, all of this. This is brand new about his job and everything. And, and when we were done, uh, I was ready to pray for him. He said, now, Dwayne, I sense that, that something's going on with you. How can I pray for you? Now, here in the midst of real trauma, I mean, sensing the possible loss of your marriage, the loss of your church, I mean, real trauma. David had enough hope in the Lord to say, Dwayne, how can I pray for you? We all need people to encourage us, don't we? And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about. Uh, Now, discouragement is no respecter of persons. The fully devoted followers of Christ get discouraged as well as new believers, as well as struggling believers. We all have suffered periods of discouragement. Listen to this. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level of lofty, uh, just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched. Everything appears most murky. So wrote the man who was called in his day the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world, Dr. John Henry Jowett. Pastored leading churches, preached to huge congregations, wrote best-selling books. Here's another quote. I'm the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Those words were spoken in a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, whose marvelous ministry in London made him perhaps the greatest preacher that England has ever produced. And how about the greatest Christian that we've ever known or heard about? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he was crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. That's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was amazing. He did more to progress the kingdom of God and the church movement than anyone else in the years that he lived. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I think we all have, haven't we? Well, a few years ago, I was at Hope and I was, had a very busy week, very crammed. It was, I had a wedding, besides the regular services, a wedding and two funerals. And one of them was a close friend of mine. And then in the middle of the week and preparing for all this, I received word that my 41-year-old nephew in California died of an overdose. And I was discouraged. And at that moment, I don't normally do this. Uh, In fact, I make fun of people that open up their Bible and say, that's a verse for me. But I did it 
you know, because I was desperate. And when you open up your Bible to the middle, you'll always land where? Psalms, always. So that's not a bad thing to do. I opened up my Bible. My eyes fell on Psalm 86. David was going through the worst time of his life. The trials, many of him by his own doing, were backed up and just pegged right one on top of the other. And here's what he said to the Lord. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Now, you can see David on the floor, can't you? He's there, he's groveling. He says, hey, Lord, I can't even stand up. I can't even look up to the heavens. Please, Lord, I need you to bend down to me. I need to hear from you. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. He goes on, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer. Again, bend down, Lord. I can't even stand up. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. Isn't that beautiful? David knew where to go when his heart was discouraged, when he was falling flat on his face. And then he concludes these thoughts in verses 14, 15, and 16. Oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. Okay, that's David. He's being chased down, right? But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down. Again, Lord, I can't even get up. Look down and have mercy on me. Give me your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. David knew where to go for help when he was in times of discouragement, times of trouble, times of devastation. And he knew to trust in the Lord. That last word, the son of your servant. That word son in the Hebrew is very similar to the Greek word in the New Testament, Abba. Okay, now there's a lot of words for father in the Bible, but those two words are very similar. So what David was saying is that, Abba, I need you. And you know what Abba means? It means, uh, it's a very most familiar term, and the best translation is simply, Daddy. Abba, I need you. I trust in you. I wonder if we've ever felt that crushed like David, like Paul. I wonder if these questions have ever passed over your lips. I'm sure they have. Regarding your pastor, David and Teresa and Isaac, uh, maybe you, your family, uh, illness, sickness. And we ask the question, how long? Where are you, God? Why me? When will my marriage be healed? Is the cancer going to take my life? Broken hearts, broken lives. When will the pain stop? And then Paul, towards the end of his letter, the second letter of 2 Corinthians, writes these most famous words, the words that you're most familiar with in 2 Corinthians, when he says this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. David, you're flat on your face. My power works best in your weakness. Paul, you're crushed and overwhelmed. My power works best in your weakness because 
My grace is all you need. In the NIV, my grace is what? Sufficient. The word sufficient means complete in every way. The grace that God gives us in those times of trouble is complete and full in every way. So throughout these coming weeks, we are going to be reminded again and again by the Apostle Paul. He's being a pastor here. Sometimes he's a prophet. Sometimes he just hammers you, right? You know that. But he's being a pastor here. And he says, you need to be encouraged. I've been encouraged. You need to be encouraged. And he reminds us constantly that our Heavenly Father says, I am your Abba, your Daddy. So my heart's desire for you to see beyond your pain regardless of your circumstances and to be encouraged. So let's begin with some context for the book. We won't get into too much of the actual text today, but some context. And we begin at uh, Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, He ascended into heaven. There were over 500 followers then, disciples, and they were following Jesus. There probably was a lot more than that, but we know of at least 612, okay? We know that much. So there's a lot of disciples. And then these disciples, Pentecost happens, Acts 2, these disciples and apostles were all filled with the Spirit. More converts, I mean, 3,000 on that one day. More con- Now there's converts everywhere. And basically, they believe what Jesus told them in Acts 1.8. You are disciples, you're to go out and make disciples. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of Grace Community Church. It doesn't change, hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Your mission is always the same. Disciples making disciples. Not disciples making comfortable. Not disciples making okay. Disciples making disciples. So these people sent out and they just transformed the world. And this is in the context of thousands upon thousands of Christ followers being killed at the hands of Nero and Domitian and Diocletian. It was incredible how the church spread and they were out making disciples and there was incredible stuff going on. But in the midst of that, there is this guy. His name is Saul. And I'm not going to read the whole text, but Saul was a persecutor of the Christian church. And he was just pounding away at them. He was the one that would hold the robes of those who were beating up Stephen and literally beat him to death. And so all of this was taking place. That was Saul who later saw a shining light from Jesus, right? He was completely transformed by the power of the Spirit and he became the Apostle Paul. And with that glorious beginning in his life, the world was changed around him. Now, there were others, of course, Peter and Barnabas and all kinds of women and men who were sharing, doing the gospel all over the world. It was incredible. But there was this amazing, beautiful thing that was going on. And then we come to uh, Acts chapter 18. And I want to just read a few verses of that. And um, the reason I want to read this is this sets the context for Corinth, what he was doing in Corinth. So, um, uh, so cha- uh, chapter uh, 18, let me flip over there. Here we go. And uh, this is when he meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. And uh, there was all kinds of uh, people against Paul. But we pick it up in verse 7 where it says, Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. This kind of thing happened all the time. Not only the father believed, but the whole family believed. It was amazing. Now, and remember... Once they believed, they were on the outside of the culture and of Rome, okay? And the outside of wherever they were. And they were persecuted. 
but they believed. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out. Like you have to tell Paul to speak out, right? But Jesus did. Speak out, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. This was Paul's second missionary journey. He was on his second missionary journey for three years from uh, the years 49 to 52. And a year and a half of that, half of that second missionary journey, he planted himself in Corinth. Why? They needed him, right? So he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a port town, similar to Vancouver, San Francisco. Back in the day, a lot of sailors, a lot of prostitution, a lot of gambling, a lot of bad stuff going on. That's where the church Corinth was planting. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to them about instructing them how to live the Christian life. He instructed them about pressing issues like idolatry and immorality, temples dedicated to other gods, to Greek gods, and to sex. And in 1 Corinthians, he wrote to correct things, to instruct. Uh, there were divisions in the church, serious immorality, lawsuits, lack of generosity, bad treatment of the poor, all the things we're trying not to be, right? That was 1 Corinthians. So time goes on. By the way, there were three uh, letters to the Corinthians. One of them, the third, was probably written between the first and second. And that doesn't make any sense. But there was a letter written between the first and second that is lost in antiquity. We don't know what it said, but I'm sure it was great because Paul wrote it. But uh, so then we come to the second letter of Corinthians. Now, there's been some time passed since Paul established the church. Apollos was the pastor and there were some other pastors there doing good work, but some problems arose in the church and Paul wanted to address that. So he wanted to uh, restore pastoral relationship. In other words, he wanted to come back and say, listen, you know, I love you guys. I, I love you. And I, I want to see the best in you. I want to see you become fully devoted followers of Christ. I wanna, but man, there's some problems here that we've just got to address. So he established his love for his people. The second thing he did was encourage them to generosity and to good works. And the third thing was to establish, reestablish his apostolic authority. There was a lot of, um, of uh, Greek gods and there were a lot of uh, false prophets that were kind of trying to infiltrate the church at Corinth because it was growing exponentially. It was exploding. And so people thought, oh, there's the new, right? You've seen that, the new big church on the corner. You know, let's go over there, right? We've all seen that phenomenon. Well, that's what was happening in Corinth. And so then Paul says, he writes his letter through the lens of encouragement. And this is what he said. First of all, I need encouragement from you. Paul said to the church there. I'm out here I'm in Philippi. Man, I was imprisoned in Rome. All these things, man, it's just really tough. And I was with you for 18 months. So I, I established you real, better than I did any other church. I need some encouragement from you. I need to hear back from you. And, and let me say this as your transition pastor, your interim pastor, I need encouragement from you. I don't know if you realize it, but this is a hard job. I'm, I, I want to be more than a placeholder, but that's kind of what I am. And uh, I want to bring, do good ministry here and I want to help you move forward, but uh, this is a hard job. I need encouragement from you. The second thing Paul did was, um, to, he said, I want to encourage you. I want to tell you that you're doing a great job and in some areas you're doing an amazing job. Some of you are great. And he said, no greater joy can any man have than this than to hear that his children follow the truth. That came from 3 John. But Paul might have had a copy of it. 
No greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. Now, you can apply that to your kids and grandkids. It works really well. We use it all the time. But really, it applies to the body of Christ. And I need that from you as well. No greater joy can a man, me, have than this, than to hear that his children, spiritual children, are following the truth. The next thing that Paul did, he says, I want to, you to encourage each other. If you see somebody hurting, you go to them. Uh, you see somebody in need of prayer, you pray with them. You text or email uh, Pastor David or Teresa or Isaac. You minister to them because you are the hands and feet of Jesus and you are to encourage each other. Sometimes, you know how we always say we need Jesus? Of course we do. Sometimes we need Jesus with skin on and that's you and I. We need to do that for each other. And the last thing I want to do in this series is uh, Paul would say, I desire you to experience the encouragement from your heavenly Father. He will comfort you. Romans 8.15, he is your Abba Father. He will comfort you. So that's some background that gives you a little... uh, uh, rubric to look over what we're going to be studying in the coming uh, weeks. Uh, so let's dig in at the first chapter. Now, again, uh, because of our time, we're not going to be able to get to, uh, to everything that I had prepared, but I want to hit some of the highlights. And the best way to do that is to let uh, Paul speak through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is the word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, and what? Say it out loud. Source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See how that works? For the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. And then the last uh, three verses, two verses. Verse eight. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Ooh, that sounds important, doesn't it? We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God what? What's the next phrase? Who raises the dead? And he did rescue, verse 10, from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and we will continue, he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. God promises, I will comfort you. And the reason I will comfort you, the reason God has the power to comfort you, the reason God has the power to overwhelm you with grace, the reason God has the power to forgive you is because he raises people from the dead. 
He raised Jesus from the dead. He does that. That's the kind of power he has. That's the kind of power that's accessible to give you comfort when you need it. So anytime you go, I just don't feel any comfort. Remember, the one who wants to give you comfort raises people from the dead. And that might even include you, metaphorically, to raise you from the dead. So here, Paul promises three things. I promise to comfort you in times of trouble. I promise that even though you're crushed and overwhelmed, you can rely on God. And the third thing is, I promise you that if you put your confidence in me, I will rescue you. And the reason I can do all of those things is because God raises from the dead. Comfort in times of trouble. I'm sure you've all been there. In the context of 2 Corinthians, um, there was a lot of pressure inside the church. A lot of false prophets had snuck in since Paul had been gone. And there were sophists. These were Greek guys who uh, were thought they were like the smartest guy in the room, always. Itinerant professional teachers and intellectuals skilled in rhetoric. And um, they could reason out everything. So you don't want to have a debate with them. Sophist, the word comes from the Greek word sophia, wisdom. They thought they were wise. And then the Hebrews that were still struggling with, well, this Jesus thing's pretty good, but we still need to obey the law. We still need to make sacrifices, right? So they were struggling with that, the teachers of the law. And then there was the crushing persecution from the Romans. And in all of that, Paul says, don't give up. You can become wounded healers. As God heals you, as God brings comfort to you, then you in turn can bring comfort and heal other people in your community. The word comfort means literally to carry your burden. It means to come alongside. The word there is paraclete, which is another word for the Holy Spirit. Uh, You will have the Holy Spirit come along with you with strength to comfort you. Uh, Some of you remember from our time with you uh, a year and a half ago that uh, back in 1989, our son Tyler was killed in a bicycle automobile accident. And of course, we were devastated. And immediately, everybody knew about it. And uh, our families were making efforts to come from California to Denver, where we lived. And the next morning, before anybody else got there, there was a knock on the door early. I went to the door. It was my best friend, Leroy, from Salem, Oregon. Here's what he said. I'm just here. You mean to mow the lawn, do the laundry, clean the toilets, make the beds? I'm just here. I'm here. Sometimes the best comfort we can give to someone is simply to say, I'm here. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you need. Sometimes you just sit in silence, but I'm here. I desire to bring you comfort in times of trouble. God promises, and by the way, that's one of two things God says he cannot do. He cannot lie. He promises to comfort you so that you can comfort others. And where do you get the power to do that? Because God raises from the dead. That's how you get that power. And then Paul goes on and says, you may be crushed, overwhelmed, but you can rely on God. Paul reminds the church of the hardships he's endured in Ephesus. He's beaten, threatened, imprisoned. But he says, listen, Jesus was raised from the dead. The same one who raised Jesus from the dead has power to comfort you. That's a lot of power. The same one that raised Jesus from the dead has the power to come alongside you as a paraclete, as a Holy Spirit, and comfort you and lead you into joy once again. That, that word crushed, it's like an elephant is sitting on your chest. You, you can't breathe. It could be 
your marriage, your finances, maybe you're depressed. And God over and over again says, I will rescue you. Because we rely on God who raises the dead. The third promise he makes is to put your confidence in me. I will rescue you. The word rescue means literally to keep me safe. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient, which means my grace is given to you in exactly the amount you need. My confidence is placed in you for safekeeping. Not just with trials, because we live in a broken world. We all know that. Not just with pain, but God says, I will keep you. I will hold on to you. I will never let you go. Why? Because God raises from the dead. That's the power you're dealing with. I want to close with an illustration. Uh, This comes from a a pastor of about a century ago, Dr. Charles Allen. And he served a big church. And uh, on his desk, he had a little globe. You all know what a globe is, right? You're old enough to know that. If if you're not old enough, just think of the movie Santa Claus, you know, when Tim Allen has that little, his son has that little globe. Well, he had this globe on his desk, and it just had a little man in it, nothing else except all the snow on the bottom. So every time Dr. Allen went through a difficult time or a period of depression or a period of just feeling like an elephant sitting on your chest, you're being crushed, he would pick up that little snow globe and he would shake it like this. And then he would talk to the little man as if he was God and the little man was him. And this is what God would say. Little man, I know you can't see anything, but I see all things. I know your life is completely turned upside down and you don't see any way out. But I know the way out. I know your heart is broken. I know your marriage isn't working or you have this illness or whatever it is. But believe me, I am the God of all comfort and I will comfort you. I promise you, I will comfort you. And the reason we know and can depend on and believe and hold on to with all our hearts that God will comfort us is because he is the God who raises the dead. Let's pray.